Good to be with you guys tonight. Um, Michaela, I was in New Jersey this week, and um, people love you there still. I just wanted you to know that. Uh, it, was, it was a great experience. I'm not kidding. Very irregularly have you gone somewhere where somebody has been the development director like Michaela was for SPO there. Um, and then everybody you meet, everybody just loves Michaela. You guys know Michaela. I mean, isn't that what a great ambassador? That is unbelievable. Yeah, clap. Isn't that good? I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just saying the weather. That's what happened. Um, I was, I was uh, thinking about what I should call this talk tonight, um, which is... Uh, over the late summer, I was, I, was, I was talking to Brad and Steve and Adam and putting together, maybe this is fall, I, you know, things, things get run together. Um, and I had listed out like nine different, like, like a whole curriculum. And, uh, and uh, I, think, I think they said, well, we, we could, how, could you do it in four sessions? And I said, ah, oh, sure. And I think, and so this is like a uh, introduction talk, which is three talks combined into one. Um, and, uh, and, and hopefully that'll, that'll still make sense uh, as we go through it. And um, I was thinking of calling it like Jesus through the looking glass. Everybody knows that, the, right? I actually think that's really good. It actually is appropriate. And so I told, so Gabrielle was asking me, we went, we, Christina was taking our pictures tonight, and she does, well, she does an unbelievable job, too. Um, and uh, so if you need your pictures taken, you know, talk to Christina. She's having a hard time filling her schedule. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, when you have a family of seven, you know, like after that, you kind of, you kind of need a drink, you know, and uh, that's what, at least, at least my, you know, my wife would, and uh, so we took the kids to dinner because we had not planned dinner and we had this tonight, so we went to Pepper Jack Steakhouse. Have you ever been to Pepper Jack? Oh yeah, you guys like it? Yeah, that's good. Um, we thought it was okay. Um, but anyway, so we're sitting there, and, and Gabrielle is asking me what, what he talks about, and, you know, Jen's saying, Matt, like, in one sentence, what's the talk about? <laughs> so I, I said, well, it's on Christian worldview, which was like, I'm biting my tongue, because, like, what does that mean? And so I told her, I was thinking about calling it Through the Looking Glass, and the first thing she says to me, she goes, oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> Have you guys seen that movie? And I remember because at the end of that movie, you know, it's the new one, the Tim Burton, I don't know if Tim Burton did it, but like somebody like Tim Burton. And uh, I think there's two of them, two of the Alice in Wonderlands, you know, Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass. And uh, at the end of this movie, time is running out and they have to get to this like, I think it's like a rose or something before time just stops and like right as she's like reaching for the rose, she doesn't make it. Yeah, yeah. Does that scare you too, Gina? That is, well, this is like an existential crisis for my daughter, Gabrielle. 
Like, and I remember it. She couldn't sleep, and she's like telling me tonight. She, I, I forgot. I remembered as soon as she said it, but I had forgot. She goes, Dad, I was scared in the daylight of that movie. Well, I'm not trying to scare you tonight. But I, I do think I, I, what, what we want to do, and I'll get back to the title here in a minute, is kind of get into the theological, historical, scriptural, um, I don't know, uh, roots or thinking um, behind what we are as part of the Redeemer Covenant community. I think that's really, really important. Um, and I wanted to start tonight um, with that because as a community of disciples on mission, I think it's important that we get our heads around what worldview is and that big idea. We're called to be a community of missionary disciples who live deep relationship with one another and are called to be a transformational community. Sorry. I, I see you better without my glasses and I see these words better with them. I've, I feel really old now that I'm doing this. I am old. Um, but in order to fulfill our mission, I'm serious right now, guys. Very serious. Come on. But in order to fulfill our mission in Kansas City and in the region and amongst the, um, the communities that we live in, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, um, to understand Jesus, to understand his vision, to understand his call, right? Hopefully because if Heart of the Redeemer is not rooted in Jesus' mission, then we probably ought to rethink what we're doing. Um, how his vision of the kingdom of God both challenged the worldviews of his day and how his vision of kingdom and cross challenges the worldviews that we might have of this day. I want to take time just to kind of explore what we, what we mean by worldview in that cultural context. So we're going to do a little bit of that tonight and what that means. And then uh, in the upcoming, you know, month, month and a half through December, um, we're going to talk about um, discerning the signs of the times. So what, what's, the, what's the modern worldview and the enlightenment? And what are the struggles of the modern church and, um, in this time and, and really the call to reform in that church? Hey guys, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. Good to have you. Um, and then there's going to be a, and I think Adam's going to do that on November uh, the 19th at the gathering. It's around November 19th. It's not then. It's middle, middle-ish to late November before Thanksgiving. And then in December, we're going to talk about an unexpected renewal um, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit which is, you know, kind of, you know, a play on, well, if you don't know, you should. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. 
our call, and then lastly, in December, right before Christmas, we're going to talk about our call specifically here in Kansas City and the heart of the Redeemer, our, our mission, our community life, um, going into um, all the things that Brad highlighted at our last um, gathering. Uh, and just to zoom out, did anybody see the moon on the way in tonight? Yes. Yes very much in theme with the name of the talk because it is a, you know, Cheshire moon tonight. And you guys know the story, obviously, and Alice, um, when she is going down this road and there's a couple different options and the Cheshire cat appears to her and um, she asks this cat which way to go right? Which way should I go? And the cat says, well, where are you going? And she goes, I don't know. And, and the cat says to her, well, then it doesn't matter <laughs> which way you go. Uh, in the early 1990s, in a magazine called First Things, an author by the name of Robert Jensen, who was at the time a, a Lutheran, I think he's like a reformed Anglican now, but um, he wrote an article called How the World Lost Its Story. Has anybody ever read that? It's a great article, you can find it. It's 1993, first things. I think it was February of 93. I don't know how I know that. Um, and he goes through, how is it in the modern world that we have lost our story? We live in a time that we have really lost our story. We don't know where we're, where we're going. I think it was, who, who, who said, was it? Was it Nietzsche or was it Marx who called religion opium for the people? Who, who said that? That was Marx, yeah, okay. And, um, and I feel like now, I, I live in a time where, you know, this technology, this is really, isn't this opium for the people? <laughs> I feel like um, we live in a world, you know, at the time of Marx, obviously, it's a rejection of God and that stuff, and we gotta get to real life. And now that we've gotten to real life, I'm feeling like it's just entertainment to keep us away from, like, the bigger questions of life. So I'd like to take us on a journey uh, into history, both through modern history and then back uh, into Jesus' day and then back to the future of our day, discerning in that light and in that context uh, a world that at, at once was lost and then, uh, and then redeemed and then yet losing its way from that redemption again in an age of a world that was rede redeemed you know, at the end of the day by a tribal God through his servant who was a Jewish boy from Nazareth. And I, I'm saying those things very specifically. <laughs> uh, it's the story of how God became king. It's the story of the world. It's the story of our church. It's the story of our community. And uh, it's a story of a world that is redeemed by that story, but seems to have lost its sense of it. Um, so with that, I would love to just kind of go into worldview and what I mean by that. Worldview is an idea that's hard to get your head around. Some folks who've been in SPO know that like last fall, we went through whole successions on different worldviews. Um, but the idea of worldview helps us to pay attention to our ways and patterns of thinking that we have 
based simply on the world in which we live. And all of us are 21st century Americans living in 2021, having grown up in this country in different places, so different families with some different ideas, but in a country, in a context, in a time that gives us a way of thinking that is fairly similar. It's important that we understand worldviews so that we can better understand things that are implied in our way of thinking. Our way of thinking about the world in which we live. Worldview in this way, and seen this way, is a tool. It goes deeper than just what you think or a set of beliefs that you might have. Um, because worldview and the definition that I'm bringing to us tonight is a whole set of assumptions that one has that are implied behind our way of thinking in our set of beliefs. We can state our set of beliefs in the way we think. Worldview is a little more complicated to, than that. And so why is it important to study worldview it, in order to make sense of the behaviors of other people to discover what their aims and intentions in living how they do and to make sense of their beliefs. Worldviews help to give us an understanding of that. So in order for us to understand Christianity in the early church, in order for us to understand this book, scriptures, the word of God, it's important to understand what it meant to live in that world. And the first thing that to begin with is we have to realize we don't live in that world. What was the worldview of those who were in Christ? And how did that mesh with and how did it challenge the competing worldviews of that, of that day? I'll give you just two of the competing worldviews of the day. The Roman worldview, not Christian, and the second temple Jewish worldview, where Jesus and the early church like came out of, but not quite the in Christ worldview. And in doing that, it gives us a more authentic picture of Jesus, a better understanding of the historical implications of his life and how that emerged in the early church, which should allow us for a deeper understanding of the New Testament in its world. Um, understanding better the in Christ or the in Messiah worldview helps us to form a better picture and understand the intentions and aims of Jesus, his behavior and the rise of the early church. It helps me to understand how that worldview was subversive to his day and age, and why, in fact, he ended up on a cross, which can be very difficult for us to understand right now. In addition, I want to look and evaluate our 21st century Western worldview, also kind of the American worldview as a subcategory of that, and compare and contrast that 
to the in Christ worldview. Um, once we understand those things, we're better equipped to see where the worldview of the modern age lines up with the in Jesus and what, where areas it challenges us. And it allows us all an opportunity to reevaluate our assumptions in the light of Christ and again to better understand what our call is in this world. So it should challenge a little bit our current worldviews where they need to be challenged. I'll give you just an example, and it's the example, and this is why I call this through the looking glass. Um, worldviews are often compared to a set of glasses or spectacles. These are reading glasses. Um, you've heard the example of looking through rose-colored glasses, right? Which means that you see the whole world in rows. We see the whole world in 21st century American world, you know, with some challenges because we are Christians. Um, but all of us needs to understand that we're looking at the world through glasses of our own worldview. Um, what are the underlying assumptions? I'll tell you one of the underlying assumptions of the modern worldview is that historically everybody else was backwards and now we're kind of enlightened. We know better. Now, that's a little bit harder to say when you start to read Shakespeare, who was written before the modern worldview. I don't know that anybody can write better than him in the modern world. You, you begin to see the, <laughs> the presumption of our modern worldview, which thinks it knows better than most everybody else in any other day in history, right? Glasses, though, are not the things that you look at primarily right? But they're what you look through. Um, <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever gotten glasses before, I mean, I, I, which, I, which I have, the first time you put glasses on when you haven't had glasses before, if, if you're of, of age, I was a sophomore in high school, is I put them on and I was like, holy cow, like you can see things. Anybody ever have that experience? Like, it's like, oh, wow, this is like what the world looks like. It's like clear and beautiful. I'm like, wow, you can read that over there. I didn't know. I had no idea. I, I remember being in school and people would sit in the back row and I'd sit in the front row and try to read. And I just thought people in the back row had no interest in learning because I could barely see the board from the front row. The people in the back row clearly didn't care. Um, but sometimes your eyes kind of, you know, they change. And so you, particularly when you get to be in your mid-40s and you can no longer read close things and you're like this, uh, your eyes change and you need to get like reading glasses or you need to get your prescription adjusted. Uh, or if they're fogged up, you know, uh, then you got to clean them off. Um, and when you do that, you can see clearly again. Um, in addition, sometimes, like I was just mentioning, you need different glasses for different activities. You know, I, I need reading glasses for the activity of reading. I need my contacts for, you know, basically everything else. Um, and these reading glasses are really helpful because, I mean, I can actually read like I used to be able to read for the, you know, for the rest of my life up until this point. 
Um, and so this time, and what I want to do tonight is to identify the glasses that we are looking through. Uh, seeing if they need to be adjusted and perhaps cleaned and uh, putting on the right set of reading glasses so that we can understand the culture both of our own time and of Jesus uh, in a way that's different uh, than our, in, in places that are different than our own and to begin to look at our, at our world a little bit more critically to see what's behind them. Um, and when we get into this, well, I'm not going to go, I'll just, I'm going to skip ahead of here a little bit. Just to give you another example, like when we, when we get to worldview, do you ever have a kid who keeps asking you the question, or a spouse, who keeps asking you the question, or a friend, sorry, I'm not trying to leave single people out, who keeps asking the question, why? Do you ever, you know anybody like that? So why, why do you do that? Why, why, why? And then eventually, like when you're an adult and you're in charge, you say something like, because. That's just, I don't know why. We just shut up and do it. Right? In worldviews, a little bit like what happens when we begin to ask why over and over and over again. I want to give you guys an example. So if you were a foreigner, an alien from outer space, and you were visiting on a, our country on a certain fourth day of the month in the summer, you might uh, group up with a set of people who have a parade in the morning with flags, with rousing symphonic music, and maybe the police and some convertibles are there and there'd be games and bar barbecues with friends and family throughout the day. And then you gather at night to watch, you know, fireworks in the evening. But besides thinking, what are, who are these people and what are they doing? Um, someone might ask that question if they're a foreigner and someone might reply with the answer because it's the 4th of July, which is kind of good enough and it's own way, that's true enough. But why are you doing all of this stuff on the 4th of July? You know, and, and so you get, because behind that and behind all of these things, there's a set of symbols and there's a stories and there's activities that are done. You're seeing some of the activities. You would see the flags that would be symbolic of that day. But behind all of that is a story, right? It's the 4th of July story. It's the story of the independence of our country where, you know, we, we came from, from the old country to, to start something new and to do something new. And we declared our independence from that old thing so that we could have freedom of religion and, you know, you know no taxation without representation. And we were going to establish a new thing, a new day, into a new land, you know, that, you know, behind, I mean, even if you get behind all of that, that probably in some ways is done through the providence of God to give us some purpose going into that. That's the story, right? So you see the, you see a certain set of things and you can talk, but behind all of these activities are symbols and practices and stories, and these things are really what make up a worldview. It's a story with a set of symbols, the American flag, the gathering, the parading, the fireworks, with a set of practices, the shooting off of fireworks, the, ga the eating of barbecue, the music. Um, 
I, I, just so you guys know, other places do celebrate, you know, their nation, but a lot of them don't celebrate it like we celebrate it, right? <laughs> this is, this is, uh, this is a culturally American thing, and I love, I love America. Another thing that accompanies the Fourth of July and a lot of holidays in our country is, is a whole, is a, is another thing that. Um, tells a little bit of a different sale, a different story, excuse me. And it's all of the sales of stuff that you, during your time off, should go and purchase that stuff. We have the 4th of July blowout sale, you know, or the Labor Day, you know, freedom sale, you know, or the Thanksgiving Black Friday, you know, get as many... Get as much, I mean, the whole story there is get as much stuff as you can possibly get as, at as cheap a price as you could possibly get it. Now, that's a, those are things that accompany some of our holidays, and you probably should spend your time off during this time to go get more stuff. Well, that's telling a different story, right? And all of us in the West kind of know that. They know that story. It's the accumulation of more stuff, better stuff. It's a sign of making it in the world. It leads to deeper happiness and it boosts one's view of oneself, both personally and among others. And it's a completely different story, but one that runs throughout our culture continuously. And it's tied up often in the great holidays and times off when people can go and get more and more stuff. I'll come back to that in just a moment. When we talk about worldview, we mean, I want to talk about four different things that make up a worldview. I seem to be missing my fourth page that has these things, but I'll just say them from memory. There's four different items that make up a worldview. They're the stories that people tell themselves about who they are and what they are. They're implied stories often that, that are running behind everything. Number, the second thing is symbols. Worldviews are accompanied by symbols. So in the Fourth uh, of July, you have the American flag and the right sort of the, the triumphalistic music and the shooting off of fireworks. There's a set of practices that accompany it, parading, uh, getting together with family, eating out. Those would be practices that you do without thinking about it. And um, lastly, there's a set of five questions. And those five questions are these. They answer these questions. Who are we? Where are we? What is wrong? What is the solution? And what time is it? Okay, does that sound complicated? Okay, probably is a little bit. Let me give you just two examples. I'm going to talk about our 25th century worldview, and then I'm going to talk about the in Christ worldview, and then we'll pray. Is that all right? Okay. So I'm trying to debate which way, which way I want to go here with these. Um, So the story of the modern world is a story of wave upon wave upon wave of development. 
we've made progress, right? And we look back on previous ages, and I've mentioned this before, as unenlightened. You know, people that used to believe in miracles and things like that, and, you know, magic. And now that we're scientific, we, we understand better. Um, all of these things, are, they're an appeal to story. So art, literature, science, and technology especially. There's a sense that we've made great progress in these areas. We can do so much. We can begin to think that our maturity has come. We've really turned a corner as a civilization. Um, and a little reflection on that, especially in light of the 20th century with, you know, multiple world wars and concentration camps in Nazi Germany, Hiroshima, nuclear bombs, slavery that has continued. Um, we can see that our culture isn't just this steady state of progress up into the light, but that's the story we tell. And in many ways, we live still in that modern narrative. And so what is that story? That's a story of progress. Another story that is kind of alongside that story is uh, a story of the emerging self, the, the idea that we're the captain of our own ship. And um, I'm the captain of myself and my soul. It's the great individual of Western culture where we're showing a new way that we could do things. Complicated machines could do things. We could invade more countries. There was a sense, especially starting in the 18th century, that we could understand the world through facts, right? I mean, it's almost hard for us not to think like that. You know, there's other places that don't think like that. Um, facts like telescopes and um, uh, machines, and they're an 18th century reality. Uh, and since the 18th century, we've been taught to believe that facts are really out there. Um, and in the 18th and 19th century, especially Western world, in Western Europe invaded the rest of the worlds, giving them our colonies and democracies and a weird mixture of Christianity. And now we look back and see those times as being very contested, right? It's an odd mixture of our Western ambition and Christian religion and colonization. And you can begin to, as we've come into the 21st century, especially with 9-11 and the attacking of our country and this story, and as we look at it, really symbols of that story were attacked on 9-11. Um, we kind of begin to wonder, has the and I think we all are starting to sense that the Enlightenment project has kind of run out of steam with world wars and nuclear weapons. Um, and, and the dream that we have come and reached the end of history um, is, uh, we're beginning to doubt that. And we live now in a new time, which we don't have much of a game plan for. And modern thinking hasn't made it hasn't helped us we have a sense that we really do want to be on the right side of history whatever that whatever that means the sense that history is going somewhere we can kind of know where that's going and we want to be on the right side of that
We used to tell this story of onward and upward movement of Western civilization, but now we're having difficult time dealing with militant Islam. And many of the world's problems that we're encountering are far harder to deal with than we imagined. If we could just spread and infect the world through our Western democratic capitalism, then we would everything would be okay. Well, we've kind of done that, and not everything is okay. It hasn't dealt with everything. Man has come of age. Uh, our civilization just needed to kind of spread out. But the movement of post-modernity has blown the whistle on this. So the emerging self and the idea of facts, post-modernity is just called a way of manipulating reality to our own ends. <laughs> Every truth claim, as Nietzsche said, is just a will to power, right? So there are signs that our great story has run out of steam, most recently, I think, with Afghanistan. I'll come back and we'll talk next time about churches in the Western world because there's challenges there too. What are the symbols of the modern world? Well, buildings, right? In, in the medieval, mid, medieval ages, you had these great cathedrals, but now we have great sports stadiums in downtown areas. I just flew into New York. It is cool, but there's not much green, you know? I mean, like, it's just concrete upon concrete. We have malls and big box shopping units and the banking section of cities. We are the banks, you know? Wall Street almost seems to shout at us. Not as many theaters and bookshops anymore. Also, we have cell phones and laptops and, you know, iPads. Super cool. Another symbol of the modern age is the nation state. Everyone has a flag. They have national anthems. <laughs> if you look back historically, we, we kind of invented lines as we went out from Western, and we just kind of drew states. Did you guys know that? <laughs> we did that. Might not have been the best idea, but it was a good idea. I mean, it was some of what we had. Um, so we drew maps kind of the way we drew maps, and it hasn't always worked out that way. And it, it's particularly difficult in places like the Middle East and Africa. We called them different countries without often looking at their culture, but we look at the Middle East and Africa, though, and we don't know how to solve their problems. We don't. We don't often understand the symbols of other cultures. There's many different kinds of societies. There's different symbols, different stories, different praxis that aren't just Western, enlightened praxis. So, but nowadays, we understand that life is much more complicated than just bringing our culture into other places. Um, the symbolic world that we have constructed that often centers on money or possessions, that's a big symbol, having the money to buy what we want. We have enough resources to take care of ourselves, and we, do you know what we, like, I am surprised how many times, like, we're building, we build storage units all over the place. Like, what, if somebody ever asks you, like, what is that? Well, it used to be like a shopping mall, but now it's a big storage unit. Well, what, 
And they say, well, what's that for? Well, if people don't have enough room in their homes, you would get a storage unit to keep the rest of your stuff in the storage unit. We have a, it's a big business right now. Climate controlled storage, anyway. But in all that stuff, we have the symbols of a belief in our possessions, that it makes a difference. And in the idea that money makes a difference. T.S. Eliot said, money is an investment Money is an investment in, in modern times and is an end in and of itself. I could go through, we have military symbols. I'm gonna, um, so how about the practices? And then we'll get into the questions. So the Western materialism is kind of soaked into our bones. So when we go out and we shop and we get something, it makes us feel more human. Think about that. <laughs> I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm just saying like, like this, is, this, is, this is what's behind some of that, right? Uh, consumerism in many ways is a living religion of our life. Shopping and malls and supermarkets are almost our cathedrals. Travel, modern travel. You know, it used to be really hard to travel. You used to have to have a lot of money to travel and to get, and you'd have to know how am I going to get there and get back, you know, and where am I going to stay along the way? But now we're able to travel. We're able to go all sorts of places. It's a, it's really a sign of modernity. Not everything in the modern. So please, if I ever get sick and have to be operated on. I am taking the best of high modernity. I, I am grateful to live here, okay? So this is not a just all out, get rid of modernity talk, okay? I will deny it. If you have to have dental work, ask Josh. Best of high modernity, right? We're not going back to the Middle Ages. No thank you. Uh, anyway, it's a sign of modernity that encourages us to travel and explore just because it's good to do that. It's leisurely. It's an automatically good thing. We have a restless urge to go different places. We have a way of doing our economy, industrialization, military power um, that, that really makes it. So the praxis is shopping and money that allows you to do the things that you want to do, like travel and buy stuff, uh, that we want to express ourselves through art, music, and literature, not just to do beautiful art, but to express ourselves through them. So to the worldview question, so those are the practices. So who are we? Well, we're modernists. We live in the modern world. We have modern aspirations, even postmodernists who reject modernity. But they need the world of high modernity to kind of do that. Where are we? Well, we're in the world we thought we ran, but now we're not quite so sure. And with the fall of communism, we thought we had made it, but, um, and we thought maybe that was the end of history and the triumph of Western values, but now we're really not sure about that. However, we're starting to realize that we live in a really complicated time. The Western world is not sure, not sure that our model imposed everywhere is the solution. And in many ways, it's not helped um, the problems, but created more problems. Well, what's wrong with the world? Well, in the old Western world, in high modernity, we thought that what was wrong was the rest of the world had not caught up 
to modernity. So we're going to share the enlightenment with them. And if they don't want it, then we might force it upon them. Now we're not so sure about that, and perhaps we were wrong. So what's the solution? Well, the solution was to impose our system of justice, to bring our system of education, our sort of freedom of the Western world, democracy, people vote, voting, the voice of the people, uh, to the rest of the world. Um, where, our, where we're opening up new markets and our currency is kind of ruling um, the rest of the world, and everybody's kind of being invited in that in a sort of benevolent way. What time is, is it? Well, it wasn't until recently, it was until recently a time of progress and enlightenment. We can manipulate the world as we want and spread this throughout the world. And again, we're not as sure about that. So it's a time where our Western dream has sort of run out of steam and we're not so sure what to do. It's the sign of a sick worldview um, that a number of people in our country do not vote anymore, <laughs> especially when democracy is supposed to be like the thing that we do. People don't have confidence in it in the same way. I don't have time to get out completely into the end Messiah worldview, so I'm gonna just say a few things kind of in closing here uh, that maybe will help us to begin to think who we are. When you get into Paul and Jesus and their worldview, they're talking about it just smacks full of fulfillment. It smacks full of a story that they believed that they lived in where God and the world were united, where the people, where there was a break and a division of that, where God, I mean, I, 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 you guys know a lot of this story, where God created a world for him to be present with his people, but because of sin and revolt, that was broken. But the story is that through people like Abraham and Moses, and then through the kings and the monarchy, God was setting up a people where he could again be present with his people, but also bring his rule and reign to the whole of creation. In this whole story, though, the story is one that is double-sided, even among the people of God, both this great promise and carrying with it the hope and the promise of God working, and he's going to make everything right again, versus those very people who are now called to be his image bearers, if you will, to that broken world have themselves carried the curse of sin and death within them to the point where Jesus' day is, is they had totally lost, they had totally lost the call and the, and the purpose that they were called to. But God, you know, had not forgotten that. And by the time you get to Paul, 
you see in this whole story this idea of a story that's kind of leading to somewhere but has not yet been completed. And by the time you get to Paul, you get the idea that it's all been fulfilled. It's all been done. Everything that God said he would do, he did. Even though the religious leaders of his day and certainly the, the pagan rulers of his day didn't accept that, it was, it was a world in which God had acted, and he had inaugurated um, his return. The Jews were looking for a day of the return of the Lord, the Lord's day. They expected this would happen at the end of time. Then everything would be over. Paul tells that same story with a, with a twist. In fact, the day of God returning to Zion had happened, and you missed it. That's the story. God returned to Zion, and all the religious leaders of his day missed it. The Lord's day had dawned. The age to come had broken into this age, but everything was not over. The end didn't come. In fact, the end had come forward right into the middle of time. The kingdom of God had broken into the old age. We live in that overlap of ages now. The kingdom is now and it is not yet. God has become king. God came as judge and redeemer into the now. A new day has dawned. People would be forgiven. Sin would be judged. The kingdom was here. And God has started to rule. Not yet completely, not yet everywhere, but for real in the here and now, for those who believed in his message. And I want to just tell you the primary symbol in Paul of that new day inaugurated through the death of Jesus in his resurrection was the unity and holiness of his followers. Read him, and read him in that light. We're talking about a community that was centering its life on Jesus as king, a community that reconciles and loves one another. This is the key to Paul's worldview. The community of believers replaced the temple. This is the key of Luke, too. If you, it's the key of all of them. When you read Acts of the Apostles, the new temple is the people of God. It's now the place where heaven and earth meet. The temple of presence of God had returned and was now still there. Where was it? It was among the believers who gathered to worship in his name. New creation has started right in the middle of the old. The old keeps rumbling on. They haven't heard the news. Jesus is the king. Get, people get ready. It was a new social order where people acted as of one family. There wasn't slave or Greek. There wasn't servant or free. There wasn't male or female. We're all one family that was egalitarian in nature. It was a gathering of believers in Jesus. Leadership is completely different. It's redefined in terms of servanthood. This is total. These are 
guys, these are like shell shocks to a Roman world. Did you? I got to stop and we got to pray. Okay. But do you understand how crazy that was? First of all, men and women, were they equal in the Roman world? No. Children, no. There were levels in the Roman world. You could probably move down. It was really hard to move up. Slaves were normal, and they had no rights at all. This is just life. Now we have an egalitarian community where we got rich and poor living together, men and women. It's cats and dogs raining. It's chaos. It's a new world that Jesus has established. Totally different. And it was a, uh, you know, I don't know how to describe depth charge that was waiting just to explode into a world that, I mean, the Romans had no idea. Caesar had no idea what was coming. He had no idea because new creation started. We're going to get into it more next time. Let's pray now. But we tend to approach the good news of Jesus like good advice. Religion is something nice for you to do in your private life. That's exactly what it wasn't at Jesus' time. We've got news, Caesar. There's a king in town. It's not you. It's Jesus. That's why they got killed, guys. Because they were announcing that as news. And they were telling people to get on board, and those people were getting on board and beginning to live a different way of life. And the people that were in charge didn't want to lose their power. Glory to God. With that, we'll come back next time and talk about our challenges and more about the Jesus time. But thanks for listening. That went way longer.